the letter from AUC specifically didn't talk about rural concerns. It talked about the fact that there are, and I shit you not, too many projects being proposed and they can't keep up with it. Welcome back to Women of Baby Polly's Your Province, Your Problem. I'm your host, Deirdre Mitchell McLean. I'm your other host, Lindsay Elizabeth Amandea. What are we talking about, Lindsay? We're talking about uh, there was a whole bunch of energy stuff. That over. time I had an aneurysm on St. Catherine's. <laughs> it's been interesting because we've moved from this, um, from the moratorium on green energy projects. And of course, that's just a six month pause. Um, Daniel Smith said it was because of rural concerns. And uh, I mean, let's 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 unpack that just a little bit, because it's not like uh, green energy companies are driving down, you know, the, the secondary highways and saying, hey, let's put it up there and no one has a say. Like, that's not so how these things work. I have so many feelings about this. So, <laughs> so many feelings. So let's start with what is actually happening. So on Thursday last week, the Alberta government decided to, out of nowhere, with no warning, with no heads up to anybody, pause, you can't see my air quotes, <laughs> um, approvals through the Alberta Utilities Commission under Section 9 or Section 11 of the Utilities Act. I had to look this up because it really, really screwed up my life, hence the aneurysm, under the Utilities Commission um, for what are called grid connection projects. And so okay. what that means is uh, how the process works uh, in a very, very, very brief nutshell is uh, companies make an application to something called ISO, A-E-S-O, which is the independent uh, uh, organization that governs uh, our electricity grid. Part of that approval includes um, getting approval from the Utilities Commission um, for the project. So then it goes back to ISO to actually um, administer the uh, oversight on the build the building and the, and the connection to the grid of those projects. Okay. It's an incredibly time consuming process. It takes years. Um, it takes uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in environmental studies, in feasibility studies, in uh, what's called a needs based assessment. So these are not things that companies undertake lightly, nor are they things that don't have a ton of regulation around them. And so in response to apparently a letter from the Utilities Commission, which I read and I died reading, <laughs> the provincial government has decided to pause anything that has not yet received the AUC approvals. And the letter from AUC specifically didn't talk about rural concerns. It talked about the fact that there are, and I shit you not, too many projects being proposed and they can't keep up with it. Oh. So number one, there's a whole lot of demand from industry. Right. Which leads one to think, maybe we don't pause it. Maybe we give them more money to actually 
staff properly. I don't know. That's just, just, it's a thought. It's a thought. Um, but neither here nor there. So the second, the second issue was around um, rural concerns about uh, a couple of different things. One was reclamation because clearly tearing down a, a, a wind turbine or a, um, uh, packing up a solar farm is definitely exactly the same as reclaiming a oil well. Um, right. Definitely 100% exactly the same. There are totally the same concerns. <laughs> there is definitely the same environmental impact. And these things, you know, and 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 clearly because we, we are having reclamation issues with the orphan, orphan wells uh, across Alberta, this is exactly the same, apparently, as the potential for a wind farm or a solar farm, which is on the surface. And, you know, I mean, like I, I could, I could see for some of the battery plants that that might be a little bit of an issue, but at the end of the day, most of this is recyclable material um, that, you know, is, is as hard to remove from the land as a, a house is. Right. Um, so, um, but but clearly these are these are definitely equivalent things, and and this is a, a valid concern. And and finally, I just I just want to make sure that everyone is picking up on the level of sarcasm that Lindsay's putting down. <laughs> just just want to make same. sure one hundred percent the same. <laughs> these are easily equivalent things, definitely equivalent. <laughs> and then and then the third the third. Uh, thing that I, I I sort of I got from the press release was um, the uh, a concern about and and this is the only one that I'm I'm going to say is actually a valid concern is about the use of otherwise arable land for energy generation and right. so I I grew up in British Columbia I grew up with the agricultural land reserve so in BC. And it's been around since the 70s. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I highly, I highly wish everyone, everyone had done this. Doug Ford, um, and, and, you know, with the green belt this week. But um, in BC, all there was a point where all arable land, all land that could be used for growing crops or, or, or producing food, mm-hmm. was put into a reserve, and you can only use it for that. Right. Um, or like some limited other uses that include, but are not limited to golf courses. Don't ask questions. <laughs> um, but, um, and in order to use the land for anything else, you actually have to make an application to the province. You have to prove your case. It's on a case by case basis to remove land from the agricultural land reserve. Uh, it is not done um, wholesale uh, like Ontario did this week, but right. neither here nor there. And so, <laughs> The, and, the last concern, like I said, was about arable land. And that one I can get behind for sure. Like we do right. need to be making sure that we are using all of our arable land for producing foodstuffs. Food security is super important. It's just as important as energy security. And um, I, I can appreciate the fact that, you know, often once you start using arable land for something other than food production, it can be very difficult, if not impossible, to use that land to go back to using it for that um if if you if you switch that designation so but we do have um like with our with our our zoning 
like that is currently in place, right? Like you have to apply to change zoning of your land to be able to do something else with it. Uh, yes, within cities. Okay. Um, or, or like within municipalities. Land use. Yeah, so within a municipality, you, you have a land use bylaw, but that's only done within, you know, realistically big cities. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, in smaller, you know, there there is to a degree in smaller towns as well. But ultimately, the difference the difference with the ALR in BC is that you actually have to, no matter where it is in a municipality outside of a municipality, you must uh, apply to the province to to uh, remove land from the reserve. Okay, so fair. Yeah, which and is, I've... I think, like fair. Right. Okay. And I will say that the one that, uh, the one that I had picked up on in particular, so I don't remember hearing about the other one. I may have stopped reading that happens. Um, I had picked up on, you know, as far as reclamation goes, it was basically just, okay, I understand we do have these struggles within the energy industry. Yes, they're completely different. However, I mean, we don't enforce half of it anyway, but. Which is how I'm we not, got into this problem in the first place. Right? And I'm not opposed to, you know, a group of landowners saying, I want this figured out before we say yes. I am not opposed to that because, again, the problems that we currently have that we know are big, big problems. So, so I wasn't entirely opposed to that. Again, you know, as Lindsay very deftly pointed out uh this is not the same <laughs> so so yes. we do have this so we have a moratorium on new projects um i think that no that no, no, no 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 to no. be clear this is a pause in the middle of the process okay so let's go back so, to that then so i thought that it was so, just on ones that have yet to be approved yes by the auc the problem is is that that is not the beginning or the end of the process. Ah. So when you get, um, so there's there's actually five stages of, of approvals that happen in a grid connection project. And the AUC approval comes at stage three. Okay. Oh, yeah, so this is- I'm happy, I'm happy to send right you a link. in the middle. <laughs> I'm happy to send you a link to a pretty, a pretty chart I have about this. Yeah, okay. Um, but um, um, and again, you can go on the ISO website and and definitely see um, sort of that process. But ultimately, no, it's in the middle of it's in the middle of the process. And so what that means is um, and it doesn't apply to specific things. So it doesn't apply to isolated generating where you are not applying to connect to the grid. It doesn't apply to um, projects under one megawatt, um, and, which is basically micro generation. Right. Um, on and, my rooftop. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's not it's not stopping anyone from, you know, putting solar panels on their on their roof by any means, mm -hmm. because um, that was never, never subject to AUC um, anyways. Um, but no, it, it's very much in the middle. And that's why, again, talking about me having an aneurysm on St. Catharines on Friday. <laughs> um, as so for, for those of you who don't know, this is part of what I do for my real job. Uh, I'm a lawyer and I help fund renewable energy projects. 
<laughs> um, like the ones that just got paused. Right. Um, and I had a I had a closing happening as this happened. And I had to figure out where they actually were in the approval process to find out if we just uh, fucked up a $10 million deal. Woo. And so this is something um, that we're hearing that this screwed people. Businesses. Let me tell you about all the ways <laughs> this fucked shit up for this province. One of the biggest complaints, issues, criticisms, uh, specters, I guess you could call it, in 2015 when Rachel Notley became premier of Alberta was the level of uncertainty it would cause. <laughs> right? They campaigned on and that this, in 2023, yeah. sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is, yes, the level of uncertainty industry would have if we had another quote-unquote progressive leadership uh, government. government yeah not certain uncertainty we can't have any uncertainty almost like you shouldn't just spring this on a bunch of people without talking to them first <laughs> this is going to set us back even if even if at the end of six months everything goes back to status quo the fact that this happened is incredibly disruptive for business this is incredibly disruptive for the industry because now we have a precedent of the government just saying jk lol we don't want to right and just stop and, and pressing pause and and that's an incredibly upsetting thing for industry because just like the royalty review under the ndp just like all of the regulations coming out and we'll talk about some of the draft regulations in a minute but just like all of those things, business cannot plan around uncertainty. Right. And so for companies that are considering coming into Alberta, this very well may stop them. For companies thinking about investing in Alberta or starting projects here, this is this is going to cause so much uncertainty. And at the end of the day, the people who are getting caught in this are Companies that are trying to green our grid, right, right, um, and and to what end? Um, I mean, I could see saying like if if they had picked, you know, no no new applications to ISO, which they couldn't. I guess they couldn't have done because it's actually not controlled by the government. But neither here nor there. <laughs> but like, or or or. I don't know. I don't know how they could have done this any better. Um, my answer is they shouldn't have done that at all. Um, but it's this is going to cause ripples for years. Right. Now, so one of the things, um, because I had to, uh, I did CTV's the debate today, and it was talking about these draft le legislation that was or the draft legislation that was coming, or had or. I mean, because like, what do you even call it? It's draft le legislation. It's no, looking at like it, a there, ten year it's draft. It's draft. It's draft regulations. Draft for... regulations. Yeah. So, so, but wait, but wait. Okay, uh, but what, the one thing that yeah. I wanted to put in was when I was looking it up, um, like looking up electricity prices because their question was, you know, are you willing to pay more for greener energy? And so I was like, well, what 
like what exactly are the costs that we're that we're currently paying, right? We know that Alberta's has been just wild, but you're really not hearing that from the rest of the country that their that their energy bills are doing what ours are. So I was checking just what information I could find on it. And so Alberta's Alberta's electricity is um, where most, I mean, in Canada, it's like 80 some percent, 85%. Oh, I had the number written down. It's it's like 80 some percent clean energy. That's uh, all across Canada. No, no, all across Canada. Okay. In Alberta, we are using approximately 89% fossil fuel, which you would think since we, quote, um, are sitting on an ocean of natural gas, unquote, that our energy prices, our energy expenses would be lower. Yet in 2021, there were only three provinces that paid more than we did. And the rest of the provinces all paid less. On the lowest of that scale was Quebec at 7.3 cents per megawatt hour and Manitoba at 9.9. Now, neither Manitoba nor Quebec is using, again, an ocean of natural gas within their own province, yet we are. So the other thing that came up when I posted that was that our transmission costs in Alberta are anywhere between 60 to $170 depending on your bill, but our transmission costs are wildly out of step with other provinces. So BC is looking at about $7 and uh, Quebec is at 13 and Alberta is charging, again, Alberta companies, Alberta electricity companies, electricity transporters are making an absolute fortune in this province. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you can go. I just wanted to add that all in before we before we get too far. Yes. So the answer is I would love clean energy and it sounds like it would actually be cheaper. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's what I found. To to start this, I want to read you two sentences. All right. This is the first. Climate change is the most pressing environmental challenge of our generation, but if tackled appropriately, it could also present the greatest economic opportunity of our lifetime. Always been told that, yeah. This is a second. One of the greatest challenges of the next hundred years lies in meeting the energy needs of human civilization while averting the worst consequences of rising carbon emissions. So the when first, she read off the computer. So the first statement is the beginning of the introduction to the draft regulations. Okay. The second is from page 316 of Triple Crown by everyone's favorite liberal, Jim Prentice. Right. Yes. Yes, conservatives know this. Conservatives know that we are in trouble. I read the entirety of the statement and the draft regulations since they came out eight hours ago. And I can tell you that they are, it's literally like someone just sat with Jim's book and just changed some of the words. Oh, really? With a thesaurus. I kid you not. There are statements... <laughs> Every single statement on there is in this book. That's impressive. Every single one. And, and I actually went and I grabbed the book because I was reading this and I was like, well, I mean, this seems like the, I was like, I feel like I've read this before. And I have, in <laughs> fact, 
because in 2016, when this was, um, you know, published after Jim passed away um, by our friend uh, Jean-Sebastien Rieu, um, you know, I, I took it to heart. And so we're talking, this is, this book is seven years old. Mm-hmm. We, these are all things we know. These are all things we continue to know. And the biggest point that Jim made and what these regulations try to make is that Canada is well positioned to be a leader in green electricity, in green technology, um, whether it's in, you know, amazing, um, you know, geothermal, you know, systems, whether it's uh, industrial strength lithium batteries for things like forklifts, um, whether, you know, like there are, we have the technology, we have the people, and we have the information economy to be able to be leaders, but that will only work and will only happen if we are actually walking the walk. And that means at the end of the day, when we talk about electrifying our our economy, it means that that electricity has to come from clean and affordable and reliable green power mm-hmm. and decarbonized power. And so, you know, and, and it makes sense for individuals as well, because just as you, as you, you know, rightly pointed out at the beginning of, of this segment, um, we, the reason that power, like electricity costs so much more in Alberta than it does any, anywhere, almost anywhere else in, in Canada is because for a large part, our energy is dictated by world prices. Mm-hmm. Right, is dictated by the cost of oil, the cost of natural gas on the world market, and so when you know trying to decide whether to keep it and use it for not, for for electricity or to ship it somewhere else, we're it's being dictated by world prices. Hydroelectricity is not dictated by world prices, right? And so you know when you talk about you know places like Quebec or Manitoba, or I'm going to guess the next one was BC on that list. Um, a large portion of their, she's nodding, by the way, guys, <laughs> I'm right. Um, a large portion of the energy generation is, is done by, by something that's not dictated, is not dictated by world pricing. And so, I mean, to the, and, and the reason I would say BC is a tad different is, um, BC actually sells a ton of energy to Washington state. So, to some extent, that one's a little bit, a little bit different, but not, right. but not terribly. And at the end of the day, you know, um, that's the real game changer. That's the real difference between the provinces in terms of, of the actual cost per kilojoule of, 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 con- of consumer level energy. And, and so these are all things we've known for a long time. This, these are things that everybody knows, not just liberals, but conservatives um, and and I don't think that this is, or it shouldn't be a partisan issue. I think yeah. the thing, if, if, if I were to say anything about what's going to get fought on about this, is it is not an area, for the most part, of federal jurisdiction. Right. And, and so that, that, is, that was one and, of the... And that is imp- yeah. implicit in... And it's acknowledged in, honestly, throughout the working paper that was published by uh, 
the Canadian government. And, and so I'm not surprised by that. Um, I think it's still going to be a contention. That's going to be where the contention should be, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, um, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Right. Um, I don't know why the horse is always male in that example, but <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> but this is only going to work as much as Canadians want it to work and as much as each province is willing to work together. Right. Well, and that's kind of the other reason why I said that I didn't, I don't hate the idea of putting out basically a a working paper, an idea of this is what we want to see and Mm -hmm. giving provinces a heads up that, you know what, this is what we'd like to see in 10 years, because that was the other thing. This wasn't something that was like, this is happening tomorrow. You know, it's not like they just canceled a bunch of projects in the province. It's more like, hey, here's what we want to see. Not only, not only do you have time, um, this is being published in the Gazette, in the Canadian, in the Canada Gazette. And uh, part of, part of this process is actually seeking feedback. Yes. Um, And so, uh, on, so this is the beginning of a 75 day consultation period before the regulations are actually published. Right. um, For 2024. And so, you know, sort of, you know, compare and contrast that with the Alberta government, um, just deciding with very little consultation or warning to pause anything that was in the process of being approved. Mm -hmm. Um, These are very, these are very different, uh, very different approaches. Um, But one thing I do want to go back to um, that we haven't really talked about too, too much um, while, you know, we have talked a little bit about, and I just mentioned, you know, the fact that this is not an area of federal jurisdiction, one of the things that the working paper does touch on and something that uh, Jim Prentice touched on in his in in his book, I feel like I'm just hawking this book now. Um, <laughs> if you haven't read it, please go read it, Triple Crown. It's an amazing, amazing book. Um, it should be, you know, required reading for, I'd say, anyone in Canadian politics or talking about energy policy in this country. Um, but one of the things that they both talk about, uh, again, is the role that Indigenous people um, can and, will, and should and will play in um, the decarbonization of the, the economy and our electricity grids. Because there is a huge opportunity to, um, you know, for, for especially for a lot of on reserve um, individuals where, you know, there really isn't, there still isn't a lot of like connection to the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where sort of like the build out of the grid is going, we're going to see most of the build out of the grid, like, you know, for the most part in cities, you are connected to the electricity grid, like your house gets electricity, it's a right. thing. But for smaller towns or for, for rural areas or for reserves, that's not the case or hasn't been the case. And so as we, as we try to electrify those areas, um, there's a huge opportunity to make sure that it's done right the first time. Right. Right. And, and being able to create microgrids and being able to have clean energy from the get-go, whether that's hydroelectricity, whether that's solar, wind, doesn't matter, um, geothermal, biomass. I'm just going to keep naming stuff because there's lots <laughs> of them. Biodiesels. So I have, so I do have a question then. You know, one of the things that Smith had brought up 
was that we need more backup power to cover this green energy. Now, I don't know if you can answer that, but I mean, the way that I'm looking at it is the green energy product projects were in addition to energy that we already have. So it should help produce more. Yeah. So one of the biggest issues with green energy uh, has always been um, it's really cyclical. And so it's not like you can just turn on a, a gas power, a plant and just keep running it. Right. Um, you know, the sun, yes, only shines so much. And, and so the big issue has been development of batteries right. um, that are, are capable of, of storing that energy. And so that's always been a really hard uh, and, and moving it over long distances. And that's always been sort of like the drawback of broad based renewables. It, I always laugh a little bit when I do it, but I, I grew up in BC. And so one of the things when you don't have um, the ability to uh, take on extra load, um, you end up with um, brownouts or blackouts. Um, right. And so I remember growing up in, in, in the summers, you know, you were always asked to run your dishwasher or run your laundry at night. Hmm. Yeah. Right? To even, that, out yeah. The, even out the stress on the, uh, uh, on, on the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be honest, I still do that, even though it means absolutely fucking nothing. <laughs> and well, and, and the thing too is they would actually price it accordingly. So if you if you were using it peak times, um, it cost more, and if you used it in the middle of the night, it cost less. Right. Um, okay. And and that's again regulatory nudging where it wasn't stopping anyone from using it. It was just going to cost you more if you wanted to run your dishwasher at six o'clock in the afternoon in the evening. Right. I realize it's not the afternoon, but <laughs> it's very bright out. Okay. Um, I know. It still feels like the afternoon. It's like eight. And see, um, my new dishwasher, it is relatively new this year, last year. I don't remember. Last year. Um, it has, like, it's it's got the little button that I can delay for, like, two hours, four hours, six hours. Right? So it's six I mean, o'clock like, or whenever dinner's finished. You know, I can put it on and say delay until, like, I can delay it for six hours. No, it doesn't. It doesn't do anything different for me. And, and I've always gotten in the habit of, honestly, the last thing I do before I go to bed is I put my, my tea mug in the dishwasher and I turn it on. Yeah. It's habits. And so, <laughs> you know, old habits die hard, right? Yes. Real hard. <laughs> but that is something um, I don't, I do remember that growing yeah. up, but I don't recall hearing that stuff now. I don't watch television anymore. So do they still yeah. tell us to do that? Are there still commercials saying please do this. I do listen to radio though, but I don't, I don't recall hearing that. And I know that we have upgraded the crap out of our electricity grid. So we maybe. Have, but, but part of, part of this whole process is of electrification is one, being able to meet demand and two, being able to replace, right? So you have to do both of those things sort of simultaneously because it's not static. It's not like we're just replacing uh, fossil fuels right um none of the project like very few of the projects that are coming online are are large enough to really you know replace large swaths of of the the current grid um, right the what's happening right now is just still trying to meet demand and so, um, but when, and so wouldn't green energy projects essentially and i'm not saying that like that we stop all other development. 
Um, but wouldn't anything that was green that came on the grid right now be addition, like in addition to, I'm not even talking about replacing at the no, moment. I'm yeah, just no, saying. It's like, we're literally just adding to the grid at this point. Adding, right, um, yeah. And, and so there's a lot of opportunity for it. And again, it's, you have to remember there's sort of two pieces to it as well, because we use a lot of, um, in Alberta and a lot of places, a lot of heating is done by electricity. And so, but it's not the only way you could heat a house, right? right? You can heat it simply by natural gas. You can heat it by, you know, propane geothermal in the olden times. You can heat it with wood in a stove. Um, and, and, and so those are all different ways to heat a home that are not electricity. Um, and so you can sort of skip a step, but it's, I probably thought that like, someone keeps texting me and by somebody, I mean, my pharmacy. <laughs> Anyways, it's really important that we are, um, keeping in mind that there are other things at play as well um, that can also um, go to helping decarbonize our grid. Um, and part of that, I mean, it even comes down to, um, you know, triple pane glass in windows so that you're using less heat. Uh, it comes, you know, energy efficient and appliances. And it, yeah, it's, you know, less heat loss. Um, uh, energy efficient appliances. Um, uh, you know, th things like that, where we're, we're really trying to minimize the, um, the, the, the draw on the grid, because as we, you know, transition to certain, to, to other things, like for instance, electric vehicles, um, electric vehicles are only as green as the electricity they use to charge. Right. Right. And so, so right now with us, with Alberta using 89% fossil fuels to. You're basically, you're basically running your car on fossil fuels in this province. Hmm. You have, we, have, we have accomplished fucking nothing. When I heard that they were pausing approvals, it, it, this is something I got from Jason Kenney as well. When Jason Kenney and the United Conservatives first came to power, it it seemed like, and and again, we'd never seen this in Alberta, right? Because we had one government, and even if it was a new leader, it was still, they were basically just continuing on with what they had already planned to do before, right? So there wasn't, there was never really a really big shakeup. And when the NDP were elected, there wasn't a big shakeup because they weren't prepared, they didn't have anything really in place to, if we win, here's all the things that we're going to do. There was no transition plan and right. almost all of the deputy ministers stayed the same. So you essentially had the entire like political bureaucracy stay the same. Right. So, so again, not really much of a change, but when Jason Kenney and the UCP got into power in 2019, what, what it seemed like to me is that a number of changes that they were making were were this petty getting back at the other side um and it and it did it felt it felt petty it felt small it felt uh and especially the number of things that they repealed and then had to bring in again because these were not bad ideas they just didn't like that it was the NDP that did it and so you did bring it up and I was thinking of it as you were talking earlier about how just like the um, like the royalty review, the royalty review pissed off so many conservatives. 
And I, I really don't like to think that we are still in this, in this stage of we need to be petty. The NDP hasn't been in government since 2019. They barely did anything while they were in government. There really wasn't a whole lot of quote unquote damage to be cleaned up. So I, I hate to think that we are still in that space of we need to get back at the left or whatever, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of rational thought behind this decision. No, so. and it very much feels like this is pandering to a small subset of rural landowners who I just I don't. See, I don't Lindsay's get just it. like I, I, I don't know how I, I just don't understand. <laughs> Um, but, uh, like, it just, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me from, like, a, a business perspective, from, um, economic an perspective. energy perspective, from an economic perspective, from a political perspective. Like, this seems like a really weird thing to be spending political capital on. Yeah. Like, like, who do you owe a favor to that you're doing this? Yeah, because it because it's weird. It is it's it's a weird thing to be fighting about at this particular. I mean, at any point in time in general. But I always kind of come back to this conversation that I had uh, twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, uh, and I was I was working on I was working on a story that I had you know I had to reach out to experts for. And the person that I ended up with was a prof at the UC, and he um, had he grew up in Ontario, and so we ended up starting to talk about um, the media bubble that exists in Alberta, and I'm sure since social media, it's not as bad anymore. Um, Meta, thanks for probably making this worse, but um, but there is a like Alberta has a media bubble. It is. Our, our media is pro-oil and gas. It always has been, it always will be. Um, this is, this this seems to be a media that works for what people want to hear rather than what's actually going on. Um, the thing is, I also grew up in rural and I still live in rural. So I have no problem saying in rural, that media bubble is actually even worse because we get less information, right? We, we okay. actually have, we have less actually coming to us. And I mean, this was something that just drove me with our with our local paper because, hey, it is great. I am really excited to to write about, you know, people who've lived in town for like their entire lives, their third generation. I don't know. It's that's a great it's a great thing to talk about. But also there's this whole like world outside of our town that I would love to be bringing some pieces in about things that are important. And I see local media or local newspapers as being a, unfortunately kind of part of the problem with, again, this this media bubble. Because how many people mm -hmm. get the national papers? And I mean, even if you do get the national papers, guess what? They seem pretty uh, prone to cheerlead oil and gas as well. So I, I don't know that that really helps anymore, but but again, like this, that that was another thing that bothered me about the rural concerns. And if you saw the article by Don Braid, where he said there that, that wind farms, turbines, 
turbines, yes, that they are um, like odd and kind of creepy. So they're they're aesthetically apparently not as pleasing as I don't live near a wind farm, but I, I have seen them, they do exist. And uh, they don't really seem like a big blight on the beautiful scenery, the beautiful skies uh, that we have here. So I'm really not sure where that came from, but really, if we're gonna talk about aesthetics- Let's aesthetic talk about like pump jacks for a second, cause that's yeah. super <laughs> displeasing to the eye. <laughs> And that's and that's exactly it. But like that's why a lot of too, the, some of these complaints just seem like you're missing the bigger picture here. And and you know, thanks to everything that you've added, my mind has not been changed on that. I know, right? Yeah, it it it's incredibly difficult to to really say. You know, we're moving forward as a country, and and the last thing we want is for again for Alberta to be left behind, and for this to cause even more division between Alberta and the rest of the country with respect to our our, our energy politics. It it's unnecessary. It's harmful. It's bad for business, and at the end of the day, it needs to be reversed. Lindsay, I have to say that. Uh, wow, were you ever a powerhouse of information? I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week.